0: You are Locked on Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. The 2020 season did not quite go as planned for Reds fans as the playoffs ended abruptly in the wild card round. Now the Reds are left to pick up the pieces during the offseason and fix a lineup that was the worst in Major League Baseball. How are they going to do it? What are they going to do? Rumors, transactions, news, all here on the Locked On Reds podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Carr. Let's go. The Reds have made another trade. That's right now, two trades for the Reds in this young offseason. It's not a really good one, though. We're going to break it down here. I've got five thoughts about this trade here to give you on today's podcast. And later on, we're going to introduce the newest member of the Reds bullpen coming over from this trade. Before we get into all of that, though, make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast here, the Lockdown Reds podcast, bringing you a fan's perspective with informed information about your favorite baseball team, the Cincinnati Reds. On the Lockdown Reds podcast. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening. All right. So, uh, the Reds, uh, they made a trade. A very surprising trade. Not something that we were even uh, thinking about. Not something that was on the radar. And it's not a surprising trade in that we are very surprised in a happy way. I think it's leaving most Reds fans with pieces to pick up. In case you are out of the loop, the Reds traded Rice Salagalasius and an undisclosed amount of cash to the Los Angeles Angels for Noah Ramirez and a player to be named later. And as much as we like to joke, I'm pretty sure the player to be named later is not going to be Mike Trout. Probably not going to be Shohei Otani. Probably not going to be Anthony Rendon. It's probably going to be somebody we've not heard of in their minor league system and that's confusing on a number of different levels but i've got i've got five thoughts about this and before we jump into my criticism of this trade which there are many criticisms to be had i find it ironic i find it intriguing that if you think about it a lot of people have kind of been wanting this for a little over a year most people have been looking at rice Iglesias as a key person to trade, a key person to uh, flip for some other assets, some players, maybe some prospects, something like that, especially since he basically said that he only wants to be a closer, he only wants to get saves, he doesn't want to worry about anything else, he doesn't want to be flexible, he doesn't want to help out the team, all of that good stuff. And it's because of that that this uh, comes as interesting that it's got so many people, like me, up in arms because I, I I kind of saw the value of trading Rysell Iglesias. Like, look, he makes over nine million dollars to get at most. Sometimes he'll get six outs, but for the most part, he's going to get you three outs in a game, and he might pitch I don't know, three times in a week maybe four times in a week if he's really busy, but then the next week he's going to pitch a lot less too. So that's a lot of money to give to a guy that's not playing that much. And when it comes to relief pitching, I have always said this, relief pitching is a fickle friend. You can be really good at it one year and really good the next year, and nobody is really concerned as to how the transition was made because when it comes to relief pitching, there's not like a set – Path. You don't begin down a certain path of relief pitching and then become amazing and stay amazing for a long time. I always use the example of Eric Gagne, the best closer in baseball for like two years and then completely falls off the map right after that. Like there's no warning. There's no in between year where he's mediocre and then he's just bad. It's just he just stopped being able to get people out. So, okay. You pay that much for a closer, but the problem with this trade, and this is where the criticisms begin, is it's just bad timing. Where this trade falls, this falls inside a week after the Reds wave goodbye to R.G. Bradley. There are now two key members of the back end of the Reds bullpen. They're gone. They're not here anymore. The Angels have Rice Iglesias for the final year of his contract, and Archie Bradley's a free agent, most likely will sign somewhere else because he'll probably garner close to what he would have made in arbitration, and that's pretty much the reason the Reds got rid of him. They didn't want to pay him that money. So I don't see the Reds bringing back Archie Bradley. So that's two key members of the bullpen. That are gone, and yeah, sure you can talk about. Well, the Reds acquire Jeff Hoffman from the Rockies, and they've got No Ramirez and this trade, and maybe Derek Johnson and and Eric Jagers and those guys can turn them into something. Okay, sure, whatever. You can squint and see that happening. But on the other end of the spectrum, they traded, they got rid of known commodities from a team. That is close. I think we all agree. And most of it is because we're biased, but we agree that the Reds are close to being a contending team, to being a team that you look at and say, this team is going to be in the playoffs. But now you're starting to wonder. So that's kind of a concerning thing. The, the other part about this trade is this, and lots of people have said this, it follows up with what everybody's reporting. Everybody is reporting that the Reds don't have any money, and if they want to make moves, they've got to move money around. they got to get rid of salary dollars that are already on the docket in order to bring in new talent, in order to make the team better. But if this is a salary dump, why are the Reds still paying? part of Rice Iglesias' last year of his contract. And I get it. It's not as if they sent all of the money to defray the difference between the 900000 that Noah Ramirez makes and the $9 million that Rice Iglesias makes. It's not as if they just sent them $8 million to the Angels. But even part of this makes no sense. Why are you paying another team so that you can have less money on your books? That just seems backwards to me. Why did you have to make this trade? If you paid somebody to take a player off your hands, that means you felt as though you had to make this trade. It was a necessity. Why was it a necessity? I, I, I don't understand that. And that that's a huge part of where my confusion and criticism is coming from the Reds team. And now... We look at this and we say, okay, well, it's the last year of his contract. They're just trying to get get out from underneath of it and all that stuff. But, again, they didn't need to make it right now. They could have made it during the trade deadline and maybe have gotten a prospect or something. I, I, I don't know. And it's not as if the guy that they got back, No Ramirez, and we'll talk more about him here in the second half of the podcast, but he is 30 years old. We're not talking about a top prospect in the Angels organization. We're not talking about a mid-level prospect in the organization. We're talking about a project player who has seen probably half of his career, maybe more than half of his career, already pass by. So there's that. The other part, and this is the thing that gets me, because okay, it's not a salary dump. It's a uh, asset repurposing. They're reallocating money from one player and they're going to use it on another. They're going to free up the salary and use it for another team or for another player to make the team better, whether it be a shortstop or what have you. Here's the problem that confuses me, though. Major League Baseball has no salary cap. There is not a hard and fast number. Now there's the luxury tax threshold, but the Reds are nowhere near that. And so you don't have to clear cap space to add another team or uh, add another player to the team. This is not the NFL. This is not the NBA. The NHL, I think, has a salary cap as well. You, you, You don't have to clear salary space to add a player. You can add a player, and then, okay, well, if ownership only is allotting you this much money, then after you add that guy, you can then go and clear the cap space after that. So, yeah, I get it. Maybe they're repurposing the money, but why did they do it beforehand? This feels as though if you just went and sold your house so that you could enter the housing market, that makes no sense to me. Why Oh, why are you getting rid of all of this money if you're just going to spend it? You could have spent it, shown what the plan is, but right now, the plan is confusing. There almost seems to be no plan. And then Nick Kroll followed it up. He had comments about the trade in an interview with the local media after the trade happened. He said that this is not indicative of a larger movement to cut payroll. He said that there are two things that this is not. That's the first one. It's not indicative of a larger movement to cut payroll and that they are approaching each and every individual situation as it comes, which also doesn't really sound reassuring toward a larger movement, if, if you just focus on everything in a vacuum, there's still a larger picture. Whether you ignore it or not, there's a larger picture to everything. So whatever. It's not indicative of a larger movement to cut payroll. But here's also what he said this isn't. This is not a sign that there's imminent signings coming from the free agent market. There is nothing imminent for the Reds. There is no movement about to happen that will add someone to the roster. So why did you have to make this trade? The, the, the part that just absolutely flabbergasts me about the whole deal is that they sent cash to the Angels. If you send cash to the Angels, that almost means that you had to throw that in to get the deal done. And you had to throw it in or else it's like the Angels were going to back away from the negotiating table. The Reds lost this trade. And depending on what they do with the repurposed money and things of that nature, after the deal is done, we'll probably feel better or we might feel worse. We'll see what happens in the coming days. But as it stands right now, it's just got us all in a big kerfuffle. I am very confused right now as to what the Reds are doing. Because it felt as though they were on the final step before contention. And instead of taking that step, instead of walking through the door into the room where all of the really good teams are, they have now walked back down a couple steps. In fact, there was a, uh, a tweet from Mike Petrello talking about the Fangraph's projected wins above replacement for position players, breaking it down by team. The Reds are very low on that list, 25th out of 30, based on their projected wins above replacement for their position players. They're projected for 11 war comparatively the Cubs are projected for 17 war. They're not going to make that up with anybody on the free agent list, at least not one movement. So that means that there are a couple of moves away on the position side and now when you know war projections and stuff like that are largely based on what a player has already done and they're not trying to project a ton of the future they're just taking what a player has done compiling it and saying this is what they'll do this season based on what they've already done but on the other end of the spectrum it shows where the reds lie as much as we love to say that they are very close to contention that right there saying that the reds are projected for a total Of 11 wins above replacement amongst their position players is a little bit sobering and a little bit worrisome. And the fact that they have to do all of this uh, finagling and matriculating of dollars away from the current salary in order to add other players is very concerning. And I really hope that we don't see more, although there are rumors out there that we will. In fact, as much as I love to say that I think Sonny Gray is going to remain a red for this next season, I keep hearing rumors from multiple sources. Just Not just one. It's not just Joel Sherman. It's not just one guy over here. It's not just some obscure uh, MLB trade rumors guy or something like that. It's a lot of people now, including a guy in the sports gambling ring that he's usually pretty dead on when it comes to you know predictions and stuff like that. So I'm a little bit worried about where the Reds are heading here, even just in the next few days. Well, we'll see how it all falls down. All right, so coming up here in just a moment, I talked a lot about that, but I had a lot of thoughts. There was a lot of things floating around in my head. And I still say this with the caveat of, depending on what the Reds do here soon... This can be a lot better. And the fact that the players that they've lost are only in the bullpen, something that as far as positions on the baseball field, if you ask me what is the easiest part of a team to replace, I'd say it's the bullpen. So okay, that's all that they've lost so far. So maybe they make some moves here coming up soon, and I feel a lot better. And we'll have a happy podcast that I can just say, you know, when I was like weirded out and kind of not happy with the Reds after they traded Rice out of the Glaciers, yeah, forget about that. They made a great move. I'm feeling happy now. Hopefully, that moment is coming here soon. And we're going to talk about the newest member of the Cincinnati Reds, No Ramirez, here in a minute. It's just right now I'm a little. Blah. And there's not even a word for it. It's just blah. All right. So I talked a lot about the confusing direction and confusing uh, bigger picture that this trade paints in the first half of today's show. I want to focus this remaining bit on Noah Ramirez, and it's no, uh, Ramirez although most people will read his name and just say no Ramirez and so we're going to have a whole lot of fun puns with him supposing that he pitches quite a bit for the Reds out of the bullpen which I'm hoping he does he comes over to the Reds from the Angels where he pitched most of his career he pitched a little bit for the Boston Red Sox in the first part of his career he was drafted by the Red Sox in the 2011 draft he was a fourth round pick out of Cal State Fullerton everybody's favorite stat once this trade went down is he's a former teammate of Michael Lorenzen so he reunites after having been gone for you know about seven years or something like that so he is now coming over from the Angels For the Angels, he pitched a total of 151 games in those better part of four years. He went from Boston to Los Angeles via waivers in 2017, and ever since becoming an Angel, he pitched to a 4.04 ERA. His FIP was right around there, 4.11 in the four years. In fact, this past season, he had 21 games pitched with a total of 21 innings and an ERA of 3.0, although his FIP says he was getting a little bit lucky. His FIP was 4.52. For his career, he does have a 9.8 strikeouts per nine and a 3.4 walks per nine, so hopefully the Reds pitching coaching staff will be able to rein that in a little bit. Last season, he did have a 14 strikeouts to nine walks ratio. And in a longer season, 2019, he had 79 strikeouts compared to just 20 walks in 67 and two-thirds innings pitched. Reports are he's got some good off-speed stuff. If you look at baseball savant, they say that he had three pitches that he used for 2020 One being a forcing fastball, one being a changeup, and one being a curveball. But the interesting part about this where the percentages were pretty close. In fact, it's basically a third of the time he used his fastball, a third of the time he used his changeup, and a third of the time he used his curveball. Now, it's a small sample size being only 21 innings, but it's interesting to note that he has enough confidence in all three of his pitches to use them equally. And I think that'll be an interesting weapon that Derek Johnson can kind of mold. And I look forward to seeing what they could do with him. Again, he is 30 years old. We're not talking about a dude who's just come up from the minor leagues. But on the other end of the spectrum, he could prove valuable for the Reds. He's not supposed to be a free agent until 2024, In fact, he is uh, just arbitration eligible this coming season. So he's cheap and he will remain cost effective here for the next couple of years out of the bullpen, which is a nice thing. And that's something that I didn't mention in the first half because I thought about this. I, I made the point a few weeks ago on the podcast that. I think it would be awesome if the Reds operated more like the Rays. And I say that from the caveat of all we hear as Reds fans and all we get beat over the head with is their small market club. They don't have a lot of money. They can't spend a lot of money on free agents. They're small market, small market, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so operate like a small market team. Stop allocating so much money in different areas that hamstrings the rest of the club. They had a lot of money in their bullpen. They had over $14 million after arbitration for this season. It was going to be around $14 million just tied up in Rice Iglesias and Archie Bradley. They're not going to worry about that anymore. They've got a little bit over $900,000 for Noah Ramirez. They've got less than that for Jeff Hoffman. So they they've kind of moved toward the operating like the Tampa Bay Rays idea. Now, the biggest part about this is if they're going to do this, if they're going to stop allocating a ton of money toward different talented players at different parts on the field, their development has to be on point. And I think that they've at least set themselves up organizationally with Kyle Bodie and guys like that in the minor league system to be a better developmental franchise, a better farm system overall. The only problem is they lost out on a whole year of minor league baseball. Now, it's not just the Reds. Every team did, but they, they lost out on a year of development for pretty much most of their system. How are they going to work around that? Because if they are committing – to this idea that we do not have the money to take that next step. We have to take that next step from within. We have to go find undervalued quantities, which most of the rest of the league has been doing for the better part of 20 years now. But if if they're going to commit to this development has to be on point. And that's not something that is going to happen this season, which is frustrating because we were talking about a team that was supposed to make the playoffs this season, after they make one or two moves. Now we're looking at a team that needs to make a little bit more than one or two moves to make the playoffs again. A buddy of mine said that maybe this was something that Dick Williams saw. Maybe this is something that he understood was coming down the pike, and that's why he got out of here. And now it's on Nick Crawl to do all this now it's on Nick crawl to figure out how to run an organization that both needs to and I hate using this term but if we're being honest about it whenever we look at the farm system side of things they kind of got to rebuild a little bit but they got to do it from within while also being successful because usually those two words don't go hand in hand but the reds are trying to set themselves up to do that to rebuild while also being successful and I hope they get it right. Because if they don't, we're just going to be looking at another five, six, seven years of, uh, well, they're playing. They're playing baseball. And, yeah, that's about all we can say about that. I, I hope we're not in this situation at the end of 2021. But these past couple of days have done nothing to dissuade me from worrying about that. A very uh, realist podcast today a very uh, a lot less positive of a tone than I normally have sorry about that but that's just the way that I felt after this trade and and our friend of the show Doug Gray actually tweeted a little bit before I recorded this that he has been told by multiple people that there is some stuff coming down the pike for the Reds uh, just to be ready for it and he doesn't necessarily know what that means but everybody get ready We'll see exactly what that means uh, coming up here soon, I guess. Hopefully, it's good. And you know what? That's how we're going to end this. Hopefully, it's good. Hopefully, your day is good from here on out. Thank you so much for listening to the Locked on Reds podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed. That way, you don't miss anything that the podcast has coming down the pike for you here this offseason. We're going to be all over everything that happens, talking about what it means for the team, what it looks like going forward, and... I want your reactions as well. Give me your reactions to this trade. Where do you think that the Reds are big picture-wise? Let me know, 513-549-0159 or at Jeff Carr with three Fs on Twitter and at Locked On Reds as well. I've gotten responses all over the spectrum on Twitter, whether it be, yeah, it's time to blow it up and rebuild, or some folks saying, you know what, let's just wait. There's still a lot more offseason left. There's still some moves to be had. Let's wait and make our judgments a little bit later on. And I love that idea. So, all right, whatever. We're going to end with that. Thank you so much for listening. Tell your smart device to play the Locked On Fantasy Baseball Podcast. And I will talk to each and every one of you tomorrow. Let's go, Rex. Hey!